there are two types of people. Those that are really careful about what they eat and those who are not. Right? It pretty much sums it up. Those who are really careful, cautious, you might say discerning about what they eat, and then those that they just love to eat, right? And, and they, they really love to eat anything that, that, they can, that they can get a hold of. Two types of people uh, in this world. Well, the question is, how does God want us to think about food? Now, this is not a food sermon, so don't get nervous, all right? How does God want us to think about food? Does he want us to be, you know, really careful about what we eat, or does he want us just to enjoy what we eat? The answer is somewhere in the middle, right? He wants us to eat, um, you know, in, in a way that is, is wise. He, he wants us to, um, to, 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 you know, to practice moderation uh, as we eat things. But he also made all these varieties of food for us to enjoy. He made, you know, meat and, and grains and fruits and vegetables and dairy products. He made, he made all of those for us to enjoy. So let me say it like this. You can eat chocolate for the glory of God. Can I get an amen? Now, some of you about to have a revival right now because I said that. You can eat chocolate for the glory of God. But God doesn't want us eating four chocolate donuts at one sitting, right? <laughs> right? Right? So you might say that when it comes to food, God wants us to be discerning, practicing moderation. But he also wants us to delight in his creation, what he's provided for us. And did you know it comes uh, down to the same thing when we talk about how we are to approach God's Word. We are to be discerning. We're to take messages that we hear and test them against the Word of God. But not only are we to be discerning with the Word of God, we are to delight in the Word of God. God is looking for folks that are discerning, but also just treasure His Word. And I I want to show you this in the book of Acts. So turn there with me. Acts chapter 17. We're working our way through this wonderful New Testament book. Acts chapter 17. We're going to read verses 10 through 15. A very straightforward passage this morning. Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. I'd like to ask you this morning if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. The Bible says there in verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away. Away from where? Well, if you back up a little bit earlier in chapter 17, you see that they were in Thessalonica. And because people got worked up by the message they were preaching, there was a a, a, a potential riot that was beginning. And so they paid off some folks to bribe them so they could go free. And then they said, you need to get out of town. It's getting too hot around here. So they sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Now, Berea was off the major highway called the Ignatian Way. It was southwest of Thessalonica, about 50 miles. And it says they went by night, safer, where they were staying out of eyesight, uh, to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue, as was Paul's custom. He began with the Jewish people. Now, these Jews, verse 11, the Bible says, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? They received the word with all eagerness. Watch this. Examining the scriptures, I love this next word, daily. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. 
But when the, the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, I pray that you would use this passage of Scripture in our lives. Would you move by your Spirit, opening the eyes of our heart that we might see the truths of Scripture, and giving us the desire, Lord, the passion even, to live according to those truths. Lord, have your way in our midst. Touch our hearts. Change our lives. May, again, Jesus be exalted in this place. It's all about him. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As Paul and Silas enter Berea, we're, giving, we're given a very interesting description of the Jews in that city of Berea. It says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now the word Noble there was a word that originally referred to people born of a noble birth, born into nobility. But the term came to be applied more generally to to high-minded behavior, to people that acted right, the people who exhibited character in their behavior. And so uh, Luke, writing this account, says that the, the Jews in Berea were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica. And he gives us a description as to why they were more noble. So what I want to do is, I want to just point out just quickly this morning, three noble traits of the Bereans. Three noble traits of the Bereans. And then I want to just draw from that some implications for us in this room. So, so three noble traits and then some implications. Number one, the first noble trait of the Bereans is this, the teachability of the Bereans. I want you to notice the teachability of the Bereans. It says there, verse 11, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Notice it says, they received the word with all eagerness. Now that word eagerness in the original language means to rush forward or to lean forward. It has with it the idea of of sitting on the edge of your seat. These folks were eager for truth. They were, they were moving forward, leaning forward, rushing forward. They wanted to hear what Paul had to say. And notice the word all right before it. It says they received the word with all eagerness. That word all is added to the word eagerness to, to, uh, to describe just how eager these folks were for this message from God. And so you might say that the Bereans were eager to learn more biblical truth. They were eager to learn more biblical truth. And I want to just ask you just kind of a a quick question, and we're going to get back to this a little bit later, but but a quick question. Does the Word of God cause you to lean forward in anticipation? Do you anticipate your time daily in the Word of God? Do you anticipate time when your Connect teacher will be leading you in a study of God's Word or your, your pastor will be preaching you God's Word? Do you anticipate the, the, the preaching, the teaching, the study of the Word of God? This was a noble trait. They were eager to learn more biblical truth. But here's the second trait of the Bereans. Not only do I want you to see the teachability of the Bereans, I want you to see the touchstone of the Bereans. The touchstone of the Bereans. Notice what it says there in verse 11. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they 
receive the word with all eagerness. Now look at this next phrase. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So here's what was happening. These, these Jews in the synagogue in Berea would gather together and Paul would teach them the, the good news of Jesus Christ. They would th- say, thank you for sharing that. They would take what Paul was teaching and, and go back to the Bible and say, is, is his me- or does his message line up with the Bible? They were testing the message, the preaching of Paul by the Word of God. So you might say that the Word of God was their touchstone. Now the word touchstone is an interesting word. It means a test or criterion for determining the quality or genuineness of a thing. The word touchstone came from a, a black stone that used to be used uh, to test the purity of gold or silver. They could, they could rub a gold piece or silver piece on a, a, a black piece of stone that was kind of related to flint stone, and they would rub the gold or silver, and they could tell by the mark that it left whether or not the gold was pure. So the, the, the stone was a touchstone to test the purity of the metal. Well, in this text... The Bible is the touchstone to test the purity of the messages they were hearing. They took everything back to the Word of God, or, or they tested every message. It's in your notes. They tested every message by the Word of God. So they were not uncritical or undiscerning. They heard something with eagerness. They wanted to hear a message from God. They wanted to know more about God's truth. But when they heard something, they said, does this line up with God's word. The scripture was their touchstone. But there's a third noble trait of the Bereans I want you to see. We've talked about their teachability and and their touchstone, but third, I want you to notice the treasure of the Bereans. I love this. Did you notice verse 11? It says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. Hey, Mara in the Greek, daily. They were daily in the Word of God. They just Not only were they discerning when it came to messages, and not only did they want to test things by the Word of God, they delighted in the Word of God. They were in the Bible daily, and that is so critical. They loved the Bible enough to study it daily. Now here's the, the obvious question for you and for me. Do we love the Bible enough to be in it daily. Think about that. Do we love the Bible enough to be in it daily? And I would submit to you that if we do not, then we have a, we have a lack of understanding as to what the Bible's all about. We don't understand how precious of a gift it is that God has chosen in His grace to speak to us. And in our Bibles, we have truth with no mixture of error. God himself addressing us. Isn't that awesome? But if we got that, we would love the Bible enough to be in it daily. So the Bereans loved God's word. They were teachable. They had the Bible, the word of God as a touchstone. And by the way, in this time it was the Old Testament. They used the Old Testament as a touchstone. The New Testament was not written yet or not fully completed yet. So they tested everything by the Old Testament and they treasured the Bible. They loved the Bible enough to be in it daily. So the Bible describes the Bereans as noble. Now, what does that mean for all of us in this room? How should we apply the behavior of the Bereans to our Christian lives, to our church? Well, let me give you several thoughts uh, related to the Bereans. Number one, 
This passage has something to say to skeptics. This passage has something to say to skeptics. Notice, as they are examining the Word of God daily, notice that Paul is not wringing his hands, saying, oh, I didn't know they were going to investigate this stuff. Paul is welcoming their investigation of his message, because he knows they're going back to the Word of God. And as they are daily meeting, testing the message, it says in verse uh, 12, many of them, therefore, believed. They, they, they believed the message of uh, Paul and Silas. And so Paul is welcoming this investigation into his message as they go back to the Word of God. What do we learn from that? We learn that biblical Christianity can stand up to intense scrutiny. Let me say it again. Biblical Christianity can stand up to intense scrutiny. And and not only that, biblical Christianity, listen to this, welcomes intense scrutiny. I want you to hear your pastor say something this morning. Don't believe what I'm saying just because I'm saying it. Go back to the Word and check for yourself. If you're here this morning, or if you hear this on the, the internet and you're a skeptic of Christianity, you just don't know Christianity to be real, you don't think that it's real, listen, test it out. Do your homework. You know, we live in a generation of sound bites, right? What we do is we have a a political persuasion, and we try to find the commentator that's going to have the the political sound bites that we want to take hold of and repeat, right? And and it's the same when it comes to religious views. People want to choose a certain way of belief. They want to get some sound bites from someone that sounds smart. And then they take those sound bites and build their entire life upon them. And, And there are people in our culture that have built their life on a bunch of sound bites about the Bible and about Christianity that are patently false. And they've never done their homework to see that these things are easily explained or easily disproven. And so I want to say, if you ever come across a person that's a skeptic, not only do you have the confidence, or should you have the confidence that that Christianity can stand up to their skepticism, you can welcome their, their research. You can welcome them to ask questions and to dig in and follow up for themselves. John Phillips says, Paul welcomed the testing. His gospel could stand the test of any amount of critical examination. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a Scottish archaeologist named Sir William Mitchell Ramsey. He was a skeptic of Christianity. He believed that the Bible was was myth and legend and didn't believe it to be the Word of God. He was going to set out as an archaeologist, a trained archaeologist, to disprove Christianity. So he begins to open the book of Acts find the different place names and city names and roads and highways and all of that. And he was going to disprove the the accuracy, the archaeological accuracy of Luke. And he began to dig in. And here's the conclusion he came to. Luke was a very accurate historian. Then he studied Paul's writings and and his letters and began to compare the places in that to to, to Acts. And he began to do all this research about the history, the archaeology, the background of the Bible. And he said, you know what? It's all well written. It is all thorough. It is all correct. And and Sir William Ramsey, a, a skeptic, listen to this, became a believer in Christ and became a New Testament scholar. You know why? Because he did his homework. And his homework led him to the conclusion that Christianity is 
is real. It is true. So this passage has something to say to skeptics. Paul was not threatened by them digging into Christianity. Nor should we be threatened by people who are not Christians digging into what we say, looking in the Bible for themselves. We need to learn in our culture today, we need to learn not just to share the gospel and and leave. We need to learn to walk with people through the good news and show them the foundation for what we believe. Because we live in a culture of skeptics who have taken hold of the sound bites of media personalities, entertainment personalities, uh, professors in their college. They take those sound bites, they build their whole belief system on sound bites. Listen to me. We need to learn to journey with folks and give them time and room to explore the claims of Christ. Because if they will do that, they'll come to the right conclusions. And so, this passage has something to say to skeptics. Secondly, this passage has something to say to seekers. Something to say to seekers. Look what it says there in verse 4. Some of them were persuaded. And this speaks of the Jews in Thessalonica. Now fast forward down to verse 12. Many of them therefore believe. There's a, there's a comparison here. The some in Thessalonica, the many in Berea. What was the difference? The Bereans were actually examining the message of Paul and testing it by the word of God. So look at the, the conclusion in verse 12. Many of them therefore believe. Because of their examination, because of the diligent work they put in, because they came to the right conclusions, therefore they believed in Christ. There's a comparison between the Berean Jews and the Thessalonian, uh, Thessalonian Jews. I like what Craig Keener says. He says, Here the Jewish hearers' faith rests on the Scriptures, that many therefore believed, implies that those who search the Scriptures with an open heart, listen, those who search the Scriptures with an open heart would embrace Paul's message. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, wait, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a follower of Christ, but I'm seeking truth. First of all, I want you to know this. The only reason you're seeking is because God sought you first. God initiated His work in your life to even give you an interest in spiritual things. The Bible says no one seeks after God. That's what it says over in Romans chapter 3. And, and so if you are seeking, it's because you're responding to God's work in your life. So he's already working you. I want you to know that if you're a seeker. Here's the second thing I want you to understand if you're a seeker. If you, listen to me, this is in your notes. If you have the intellectual integrity to follow the evidence wherever it leads, listen, you will eventually come face to face with Jesus. If you have the intellectual integrity to follow the evidence where it leads... You will eventually come face to face with Jesus. And so you and I have a message for seekers, people that are really diligently wanting to find the truth. We have the Bible. We have the Word of God. We have the gospel that changes lives. And if we will be diligent to share that good news and show them where we get the good news from and journey with them, if they will follow the evidence with intellectual integrity, eventually... They'll come face to face face with Jesus. And at that moment, they have to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. I read an interesting story about a pastor friend of another pastor named R. Kent Hughes. This pastor went to a restaurant one day, and the waitress came over to attend to the table. And the pastor asked the waitress this question, Have you made the wonderful discovery of knowing Christ personally? In the conversation, she indicated that she had not, and she began to make excuses, excuses like this. 
She couldn't get to church on Sunday because she worked. Uh, she'd be more comfortable with a Bible in her own language. She was Romanian and says, listen, I don't, I don't have a Bible in my language. I can't, I can't understand the English version very well. And, and other things, she said other things. Well, there weren't many people in the restaurant, so the pastor got out a napkin and he wrote down four steps to peace with God. Those four steps come from the tracks that Billy Graham put out. Four steps to peace with God. It was basically a gospel presentation, how this... This young waitress could know that she was saved, how she could understand her sin, understand that Jesus was the Savior, and call upon his name. Uh, he wrote the steps down and gave the napkin to the waitress. And, and later on, he located a Romanian Bible, and he dropped it off at the restaurant and said, would you give this to that particular waitress? So now, the, the waitress had a, a napkin with a gospel presentation, and she had a Romanian Bible. At a later date, this pastor came back to the restaurant, and it was very busy on this day. And the pastor saw the waitress across the restaurant, and, and she came over to tell him, listen, that she was reading the Bible. In fact, she said she had sometimes read her Romanian Bible all night long. Better yet, she told the pastor, I've come to know Christ. Then she pulled out that that tattered napkin where he'd written down the four steps to peace with God, and and it it was almost in ruins. She said, would you write that down for me again? I've showed this to so many people. It's it's falling apart. So the pastor wrote down the four steps to peace with God again, and this, this young lady had read the Bible, had come to profess faith in Christ, and was now sharing with others how they could be saved too. You know what that is? That's the power of the Word of God to turn a life upside down. The power of the Word of God to turn a life upside down. So when we come across skeptics and we come across seekers, we need to have confidence in the Word of God. Amen? And make sure we are sharing with them the message of God based upon the Word of God. Not just our ideas, not our opinions. We are sharing with them truth that is firmly grounded in the Bible. So this passage has something to say to skeptics, and it has something to say to seekers, just like the Bereans. Dig in, test the messages you hear, and see if they are according to the Word of God. God. But third, this passage has something to say to believers in Christ. This passage has something to say to believers in Christ. We can learn as Christians from the Bereans. Or let me say it like this. Once you embrace the gospel, you don't stop being a Berean. Okay, You don't just test the gospel and give your life to Jesus and say, okay, now I'm not testing anything by the word of God. I'm just going to take it all in. Whatever I hear, I'm going to believe. That would be unwise, right? And so I believe the example of the Bereans is good for those seeking truth, those skeptical of truth, but it's also a good example for Christians who have received the truth so that they can continue to grow in the truth. We need to keep on being Bereans. Warren Wiersbe says it like this, All of us should imitate the Bereans by faithfully studying God's Word daily, discussing it, and testing the messages that we hear. So say, wait, how can I... Be a Berean. How can I be Berean-like as a believer? Well, here's the first thing. We've already made reference to this. Daily engage the Scriptures. I cannot overemphasize the importance of daily engaging the Bible. 
I'm going to say it like this. It will flat change your life. If you will systematically read through God's Word, it will transform you. Instead of being a pawn of this world, conformed into its mold, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? But you've got to get into the Word for that to happen. So if you want to be like a Berean, a noble Berean, get into the Word daily. Psalm 119, 147, and 148 say it like this, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your word. So before the sun comes up, the psalmist says, I'm in your word. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hey, at nighttime, I'm meditating on your word. In the morning, I'm reading. In the night, I'm meditating. I'm daily engaging the Bible. You and I, if we really want to grow in our faith, if we really want to make a difference in this world, if we really want godly marriages and Christ-honoring homes, we must be people of the book. Listen to me. Listen to me. There are no shortcuts to holiness. There are no shortcuts to godliness. Sometimes I cringe at some of the products I see out there on the Christian market. You know, one-minute devotionals and, you know, these little things, you know, 30 seconds with Christ or whatever, mocha with a master, whatever. These just short little things. And we, we think we read another man's thoughts for 30 seconds. And that's going to help us to grow in Christ. No, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Get in the Word of God. Don't hurry through it. Read the Bible every day. You will be amazed at the difference it will make in you. You've heard me say this before. I make it a practice to read through the Bible uh, every year. The entire Word of God every year. I've done it now for about four years in a row. And I want you to understand I'm a different pastor than I was four years ago. I'm a different follower of Christ than I was four years ago. God is Listen, God has done a work in me through His Word. I want you to understand He's, He's changing me through His Word. And he's still doing it this morning at my dining room table, a cup of coffee, reading about the, the, the construction of the, the tabernacle and the glory of God resting and, and reading Psalms uh, 37 that, 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 that reminded me to delight in the Lord and commit my way to the Lord and trust in the Lord and, and wait upon the Lord. Just reading those verses just nourish my soul. So you and I need to daily engage the scriptures if we're going to be noble like the Bereans. Here's the second thing. Test everything by the word of God. Test everything by the word of God. It says there in verse 11, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now that word examining there is an interesting word. It's a courtroom word. It it, it came to mean something like cross-examine. So you've seen the the courtroom dramas, right? You have a person on a witness stand and a defense attorney or a prosecuting attorney will stand up and cross-examine the witness to try to get to the truth of the matter. Well, the Bereans were, were cross-examining the messages by the Word of God to see if these messages they were hearing were true. Now, you need to understand, in the first century, especially in a, a Greek uh, city, a Roman city uh, like Berea, Thessalonica, you need to understand... There were all sorts of philosophies and religious teachings out there. I mean, philosophical religious teachers were a dime a dozen. They would come through town all the time 
and set up shop in the town square and share their message. So you needed to be discerning to say, is what I'm hearing accurate? Is what I'm hearing true? Test everything by the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22 says it like this, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, messages from God. Listen, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In other words, we are commanded in the word of God to make the word of God our touchstone. Everything we hear, we take it back and test it by the Word of God. Now, let me tell you some things that will happen when the Bible is your touchstone. Number one, when the Bible is your touchstone, you will not be gullible. <laughs> I try to think of a kind of a positive way to say that, but I'm just going to leave it at that. And the reason I'm going to leave it at that is because, honestly, honestly, when I look across the landscape of American Christianity, I see great gullibility. People, listen... People falling for anything. Any message they hear that purports to be Christian, people just say, oh, it must be good because it's a pastor on TV or it's a book in a Christian bookstore. It must be good. And without any kind of discernment, they embrace the messages that they hear. But if Scripture is your touchstone, you will not be gullible. 1 John 4 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And what was true in the first century is still true today. Listen to me. There are false prophets out there. And if you don't test everything by the word of God... You will be led astray. You will be gullible. And I, I try to think about what's going on in, in American evangelicalism. And here's the best way I can describe it. Uh, there was a time when those who were under the banner of Christendom were in very, very separate compartments. Like, you know, this group over here, they stood for this, and this group over here believed this, and this group over here stood for this, and you had kind of in the middle the, the kind of the core orthodox believers in Christ, the ones that, that believed the Bible was the Word of God and practiced their faith according to the Word of God. But you had all these different groups out there who called themselves Christian, but they all stayed in their compartments for the most part. But here's what's happening in American Christianity today. There's a blending of groups. People that used to be on the fringes, who everybody thought were weird and aberrant, now their teachers are teaching Baptists and, and other folks leading people astray. And there's this weird blending of all the different views out there, this, this blending together. And it's made this kind of mushy, uh, undiscerning, gullible core of people that call themselves Christians. And, and honestly, I don't want to overstate the case, but I think this is accurate. It's destroying lives and destroying churches. We've got to stop being gullible. Listen to me. Just because somebody has a TV show doesn't mean that they're preaching something accurate. Can I get an amen on that? Hey, just because a book is in a Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's biblically sound. Right? You we name the bookstores, Family Christian Stores, Lifeway. 
there's some books in there, and I've seen with my own eyes, that are biblically wrong, inaccurate, leading people astray. So, so you've got to be discerning. When you pick up a book, when you listen to a preacher, when you turn on the radio, when you, when you hear a message, you've got to test it by the touchstone. You've got to take it back to the Bible and say, is this biblically accurate? Are they explaining Scripture in its proper context? Or are they just making stuff up as they go? If Scripture is your touchstone like a Berean, you won't be led astray. You won't be so gullible. And so there's this, there's this blending together of all the different groups out there, and it's very, very harmful. Let me tell you another reason we see Christians falling to error in our culture today. I call it the, the celebrity culture that we see. People love celebrities, don't they? And now we have Bible teachers who are celebrities. Man, they're running with, with actors and they're, they're running with athletes and they're running with political folks. And, and we think, oh man, they're famous, they're a celebrity. And surely whatever they say is, is going to line up with truth. And, and, and we just uncritically believe anything we hear these guys say. We love celebrity. Here's what's happening at these, at these Christian conferences all the different celebrities are getting together to preach together. And not all the celebrities are, are biblically accurate. But we think because it's a Christian conference, it must be good. Listen to me. We've got to, be, we've got to stop being so gullible. And here's my, here's my heart as your pastor. I don't have, I'm, I'm preaching through the Bible, amen? Line by line, verse by verse. I don't have time to name for you every heretic out there. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to stand up each Sunday and say, that's, he's a heretic, she's a heretic, he's not a heretic, she's not a heretic. I don't want to have to do that. My goal is that you will make Scripture your touchstone. And instead of having Pastor Wade tell you who the heretic is and who the heretic's not, you know it because you know your Bible so good. Does that make sense? So make the Scripture your touchstone so you won't be gullible. Here's another thing. When scriptures are touched on, you will gain confidence in the truth. Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So the psalmist is saying, as I've read your word and meditated upon your word and memorized your word and, and, and thought about your word, I've come to a deeper and deeper confidence in the truth of your word because I've seen its truth over and over and over and over again. You will gain confidence in the truth. But here's the third thing. When Scripture is your touchstone, you will be able to live a holy life. Look over with me in 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We're almost done. Listen to what it says. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters... There are some things in them that are hard to understand, talking about Paul's writings, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow as you get into the word of God when scripture is your touchstone. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 
So the Bible's clear. If you will be a person of the book, you will grow into a holy person that makes a difference in this world. Here's how John MacArthur says it. The key to living an uncompromising life lies in one's ability to exercise discernment in every area of his or her life. For example, failure to distinguish between truth and error leaves the Christian subject to all manner of false teaching. False teaching then leads to an unbiblical mindset, which results in unfruitful and disobedient living, a certain recipe for compromise. So if you're not in the Word of God, you'll be led astray. If you, if you are led astray, you are headed for compromise in a watered-down Christian life. And so what's the point of this sermon? So we think about the Bereans, the noble Bereans. Here's, here's what I want you to walk away with. Model your life after the noble Bereans as you test everything by God's Word and delight in God's Word. The Bereans were discerning and they delighted in the Word of God. And we need to be discerning, on guard, but we need to also learn to just daily, personally, just fall in love with the Word of God as we fall in love with the God of the Word and grow in our relationship with Him. And so we need to model our life after the Bereans. When you hear something, you need to take it and you need to test it by the Word of God. Scripture needs to be your touchstone. And you need to engage the Bible every day.